1: Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm so glad to be with you, live, not an encore. We are alive, and it is a very special day today. It's the Feast of the um, Divine Maternity of Mary. That is, that she is the Mother of God, not uh, the mother of a human person, uh, with, uh, uh, but the Mother of the Divine Person, who is Jesus Christ. And that um, title was, um, oh, I think by Pius XI, Pope Pius XI, um, the Feast of the Divine Maternity of the Blessed Virgin Mary was instituted by him, Pope Pius XI, to commemorate the 1500th anniversary of the Council of Ephesus, the third ecumenical council of the church. And in my 18 evangelical Protestant years, during which time I was trying to save Catholics, we did a little study on church history and we learned that at the Council of Ephesus, where the, where the argument was if Jesus is one person with two natures, or if he's two people, um, uh, if Mary is the mother of um, God, meaning the divine person, or just the mother of the human nature of Christ, uh, to settle that argument, they named Mary Theotokos. Means God Bearer, Theotokos, making her the Mother of God, and that settled by her title. It settled the the article, the um, argument. How appropriate um, it was for this feast to be instituted on such an anniversary, for it was at the Council of Ephesus that the doctrine of the divine motherhood of Mary was defended against the heresy of Nestorius and his followers, who denied that there was one divine person in Christ with two natures, and in consequence of this denial, refused to recognize Mary by the title, Theotokos, which means mother of God, God God-bearer. For Nestorius, Nestorius and his followers falsely believed that in Christ there were two persons, one divine and the other human, so they believed that Mary was only the mother of the human person. In our times... We may not find very many Nestorians, but there are many who call themselves Christians, but who deny to the Blessed Virgin Mary this title, Mother of God. It's what she is, beloved. Whether we believe it or not, it's what she is. She is the one who bore the Savior. Let us consider um, in this pastoral letter the divine maternity of Mary in order to be able to better defend the Mother of Jesus Christ and to increase our esteem, love, and devotion to her. When we consider the divine maternity of the Blessed Virgin, we must begin by a study of the person of Jesus Christ. In the Nicene Creed, which we recite every Sunday at Holy Mass, we profess our firm belief in the divinity of Jesus Christ. We say, quote, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, end quote. And this belief in Christ's divinity is firmly rooted in divine revelation. In sacred scripture, we find a multitude of passages which manifest the divinity of Jesus. St. John the Evangelist tells us in the first chapter of his Gospel, In the beginning was the word, first word of the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And down to verse 14, and the word was made flesh. On this passage from St. John's Gospel, St. Cyril of Alexander, who staunchly defended the faith at the Council of Ephesus, maintained in wonderful agreement with the Catholic Church, quote, In no wise, therefore, is it lawful? Excuse me. In no wise, therefore, is it lawful to divine the one Lord Jesus Christ into two sons. For the scripture does not say that the word associated the person of a man with himself, but that he was made flesh. That means nothing else, but that he partook of flesh and blood, even as we do. Wherefore, he made our body his own, and came forth man, born of a woman at the same time without laying aside his Godhead, or his birth from the Father, for in assuming flesh he still remained what he was, End quote. Furthermore, our divine Lord himself clearly claimed to be the Son of God and equal to the Father. He said in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. Do you remember that? And when he said that, the Jews took up stones to stone him. And he said, for what are you stoning me? What have I done? They said, not, not because you've done anything. They said to him, but because you being a man may just make yourself out to be God. Well, how did he do that? He said, I and the Father are one. One substance he claimed to be God. Amen, amen. I say to you, before Abraham came to be, I am. I am the covenant name of God. He claimed to be exist before abraham and to the question questions put to him by the high priest caiaphas uh, who said to him i adore thee i adjure thee by the living god that thou tell us whether thou art the christ the son of god and jesus answered simply and emphatically thou hast said it and saint paul reiterates the same belief in his epistle to the philippians This is one of the most beautiful passages in scriptures, dear one. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was by nature God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be clung to, but emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave and being made like unto men and appearing in the form of man. Thus, Pope Pius XI, in his encyclical, Lux Veritatis, of December 25, 1931, which commemorated the 1500th anniversary of the Council of Ephesus, reiterated the Catholic faith in this doctrine. Pope, Pope Pius XI said thus, quote, For we are taught by Holy Scripture and by divine tradition that the Word of God God the Father, did not join himself to a certain man already subsisting in himself, but that Christ, the word of God, is one and the same, enjoying eternity in the bosom of the Father and made man in time. For indeed, that the Godhead and manhood in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of mankind, are bound together by that wondrous union which is justly and deservedly called hypostatic, is luminously evident from the fact that in the sacred scriptures, the same one Christ is not only called God and man, but it is also clearly declared that he works as God and also as man. And again, that he dies as man and as God. He arises from the dead. That is to say, He who is conceived in the virgin's womb by the operation of the Holy Ghost, who is born, who lies in a manger, who calls himself the Son of Man, who suffers and dies, fastened to the cross, is the very same, who in a solemn and marvelous manner is called by the Eternal Father, my beloved Son, who pardons sin by his divine authority, and likewise by his own power recalls the sick to health. As all these things show clearly that in Christ there are two natures by which both divine and human works are performed, so do they bear witness no less clearly that the one Christ is at once both God and man because of that unity of person from which he is called Theanthropos, that is, God-man. End quote from Pius XI. Having considered that Jesus Christ is one divine person with two natures, let us continue in the Nicene Creed. We profess that Jesus Christ was incarnate by the Holy Ghost from the Virgin Mary. This is also clearly found in sacred scriptures in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah predicted, Isaiah seven fourteen, Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel which means God with us. And in St. Luke, we find that the angel Gabriel announced to Mary, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And the name Jesus means God is salvation. And in the Gospel of Luke again, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power, Mary, of the Most High, shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the Holy which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. Further on in the same Gospel, St. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Ghost, cried out to the Blessed Virgin, and how have I deserved that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Not only do we find the reference for the divine maternity in sacred scripture, but also in sacred tradition, in the early Christian church, there was no misunderstanding in the matter. For the early fathers of the church were very clear and firm on the divine motherhood of Mary. And I'm going to show you that as soon as we come back from this break, beloved. And after the second break, we're going to take your calls, your texts, your emails, whatever is on your heart. Feel free to call in toll free, one Five four eight three, or email at mother at Cross dot com, and we'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests. You can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you.
2: Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network.
3: This is kind of the playbook of how the culture has been so decimated and destroyed. I think the most important thing is to just recognize how much we have been manipulated. You know, I've come to see anytime Christianity and Judaism are weak, the occult just fills in. It's like the jungle. You know, the weeds just come in and that's what fills the gaps.
1: That's
2: The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross.
0: Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received.
4: Catholic Radio has just been a lifesaver for me. I start my day with it. I listen to it all day long as much as I can. There's always people calling in with people who've lost children, and I love everyone has to say and the advice of the Catholic Church on how to deal with suffering. It has given me the strength to get through the day and to get out of bed each morning.
0: I am very Grateful for it. Catholic Greater to me has been very informative on my religion. It has informed me of many things that I wasn't aware of or should have been aware of, and I've enjoyed it very much listening to it. If you've been blessed by listening to The Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1 877 888 6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, I am live, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And today is the Feast of the Divine Maternity of the Mother of God, of the Virgin Mary, who remained a virgin after she gave birth to our Savior. And um, uh, many Protestants, when I was an evangelical uh, Protestant, we were taught that these are strictly Catholic beliefs and man-made, but it's not so in the early Christian Church. And there was only Catholic then. There was no misunderstanding in the matter of Mary's paternity. The early fathers of the Church were very clear and firm on the divine motherhood of Mary. And um, John Henry Cardinal um, Newman uh, has said to dig deep into history is to cease to be Protestant. So, your church fathers are not the reformers. They're Ignatius and Polycarp and all of them that were. Polycarp was discipled by John the Evangelist. Go to the early church fathers and you will see. You will find the Mass and the Eucharist and everything that Catholics believe today and the honor rightly given to the Mother of God. In his epistle to the Ephesians, St. Ignatius of Antioch wrote, Our God, Jesus Christ, was born by Mary in her maternal womb. St. Ignatius also wrote, There was only one healer, composed at the same time of flesh and spirit, begotten and not begotten of God and Mary, Jesus Christ our Lord. St. Arrhenius taught this. Now we're going back to the second and third century here. Um, this is in two two 202. This Christ, who as the word of the Father was with the Father, was born of a virgin. Tertullian, God is born in the womb of a mother. St. Athanasius, we confess that the Son of God became man by the assumption of flesh from the virgin mother of God. St. Gregory of Nancy Anson, said, let him who will not accept Mary as the mother of God be excluded from God. These references from the early fathers reflect the doctrine which was always held in the Catholic Church, and it was for this reason that when Nestorius had presented his false innovations, they were immediately rejected by the Catholic faithful of Constantinople. This rejection of the Nestorius heresy by the faithful manifests to us that even before Pope Saint Celestine I and the Council of Ephesus formally deposed Nestorius from his See of Constantinople and condemned his errors, the faithful had already professed the true doctrine of the divine maternity of Mary. All that has been quoted from sacred scripture and sacred tradition on the person of Jesus Christ and the divine maternity of Mary was neatly summarized by Pope Pius XI in his encyclical, Lux Veritatis, the light of truth. And I'm going to quote. Pope Pius XI wrote this, And indeed, if the Son of the Blessed Virgin Mary is God, Assuredly, she who bore him is rightly and deservedly to be called the mother of God. If there is only one person in Christ, and this is divine, without any doubt Mary ought to be called by all, not the mother of Christ, the man only, but Theotokos of God or God-bearer. That's what it literally means, Theotokos, God-bearer. Let us all therefore venerate the tender mother of God, whom her cousin Elizabeth saluted as a mother of my Lord, who, in the words of Ignatius Martyr, brought forth God, and from whom, as Tertullian professes, God was born, whom the Eternal God had had has gifted with the fullness of grace and endowed with such great dignity. End quote from Pius Pope Pius XI. Let us never cease. Um, Uh, to honor the Virgin Mary. I'm I'm reading most uh, Reverend Mark uh, Pivarunas. Let us never cease to honor the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, especially when we repeat that most ancient, simple and profound prayer of the Catholic Church to her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Holy Mary, mother of God, Pray for us sinners now, at the hour of our death. Amen. Beloved, if you are a Christian of any stripe, if you believe in Jesus, then you need to honor the mother who gave birth to the Son of God. She is not the mother of the human person. Jesus is human and divine, not two people, but one, with two natures, one person. With two natures, divine and human, he is the God-man. Mary is the mother of the God-man. He took flesh and blood in her womb, and for Catholics, the flesh and blood that we receive at every Eucharist is that flesh and blood, now risen and glorified, given to him by Mary. She deserves our worship if you read Older Book, people say, well, you Catholics worship Mary. Actually, we do. Because the word worship, when it was rightly initially uh, used, was a combination of two words, worthship, And it was to give someone their due, to give them their right honor, not to adore them, which is uh, to adore God alone, but to give them their worth. When many people we venerate on earth, many, many people we honor, and there was no, no one, no human being worthy of honor more than the mother of God. So we give her the honor she is due. But she is a creature, and as such, infinitely removed from God, the Father who, and, and her son. Her son was her creator. God did nothing. Everything came um, through him, with him, and in him. Nothing exists and not one of us apart from Christ. He created his own mother, through whom he would take flesh. Don't expect our finite minds to understand that. We're not God. The clay cannot figure out the potter uh, who made it. But it's such a gift to believe. It is such a gift to believe. And if you have doubts, if you are of another faith, and you don't know who God is, um If you will do a study on his mother, on Mary, she will bring you to God. She's a Jewish mother, and every Jewish mother wants you to know her son. She would say, do I have a son for you? (laughs) Mary will bring you to Christ. And if you don't know him, or you don't know him as he is, as the God-man, born of a virgin who was immaculately conceived, which has to do with Mary, the virgin birth is the birth of Christ the immaculate conception has to do with the birth of Mary who was freed from original sin from the very moment of her conception in her mother Anne's womb so that she was born completely without sin immaculately conceived and born into this world without sin, without concupiscence and never ever sinned her entire life. Could she have sinned? Yes, but she did not. She is the sinless mother of the sinless Son of God. Only God could create his own mother, and he could not come into the presence of sin, and he kept her pure, and he was born in the new ark, from the new ark of the new covenant, absolutely pure. So, beloved, whatever's on your heart, I invite you to call in um, during the... um, uh, after the next break or right now if it's on your heart. We have time. We, we got through that letter a little early and the toll-free number one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. and I think I'm going to go to an email because Ginny, um, I don't know when she wrote in but I think it's been here a while. Um, Ginny says, Mother, I have a troubling question. My brother's daughter who was raised Catholic, has truly lost her way. She's been living with her boyfriend now for a couple of years and has recently broadcasted on Instagram that she was raising money for abortion rights and matching donations up to $500. I'm horrified and sickened by her blatant sinfulness. If she decides to marry her boyfriend in the church, no doubt I will not attend. How should I proceed without alienating my brother and his family, Ginny? Ginny, um, in many cases, we have to alienate. We have to take the chance of alienating those that we love. We cannot allow someone's soul to enter hell because we want to be loved by others or not offend them. Jesus offended everyone, and they put him to death. But because of that, we have a Savior. Don't worry about offending. We speak the truth in love. We speak everything we can possibly speak in love. But if they don't accept it, if they reject us, they're rejecting truth. You cannot let that hold you back. If you alienate your brother and his family, Ginny, that's what you need to do. Your your your, your niece is um, indeed... Uh, living in grave, grave sin, you need to go to her out of love. You need to go to her. You need to tell your brother that you're going to do this. Uh, I don't know that your brother stayed, but if she gets married and you say no doubt in the church, you need to tell your brother that she cannot get married in the church. You need to tell her that she may not get married in the church. God is not to be mocked. And you need to go to the priest and say she is not fit to be married in the church. She is not a practicing Catholic. She is living in grave sin, and you cannot marry them. You need to do everything you can, because if you don't, you don't care for your niece's soul. Your relationship with your brother um, cannot um, be put before the soul of his daughter, who right now is on its way to hell. You need to speak the truth in love and not wait. Don't wait till they announce marriage. Don't wait at all. But um, go to your brother and say, I'm going to speak with your daughter. You must do that. And if he says, I don't want you to, um, then I would say to your brother, will you? And if he'll say, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to leave her to God or I'm this, that. Then I would say to him, you do that, but I will not. She's your daughter but I am a child of God, and so is your daughter. She was baptized. And um, I could not stand before God and watch someone go to hell when I can do something about it. Um, And because you're my brother and her dad, you have no authority over me. You must speak the truth, speak it in love, speak it factually, But, but do it, don't delay. There is the music, dear ones for our first break and uh, no our second break when we come back we'll have the whole half hour to ourselves and again it's uh, toll free with anything at all on your heart one 5483 or email at mother at com. we'll be right back
3: raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with the spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong.
1: We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today.
3: This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for October 11th. Today we celebrate Pope St. John XXIII. Angelo Giuseppe Roncalli got a simple start in life in 1881 as the firstborn son of a farming family in northern Italy. Following his ordination in 1904, he filled a series of increasingly challenging church posts. These included service as a papal diplomat in World War II, when then-Bishop Roncalli helped save an estimated 24,000 Jews. Later, as Pope, he sought to help resolve the Cuban Missile Crisis. In 1962, four years into his papacy, John convened the Second Vatican Council. Its purpose was not to focus on errors, but to let some fresh air in. The refreshing breezes continued to circulate in his encyclicals, which focused on church unity, social justice, and world peace. He also promoted dialogue with Protestant and Orthodox Christians, Muslims, and Jews. People of goodwill around the world mourned John XXIII's death in 1963. He was beatified in the year 2000 and canonized by Pope Francis in 2014. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day.
1: Um, this is our half hour together, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have Tracy on the line from Arizona. Hello, Tracy. Good morning,
4: Mother. Well, I have a question um, that's kind of torn our family apart for the last couple of weeks, so I'm hoping you can give us some clarity. Yes. Um, I have a brother who was married in the church. Uh, he was married for about 15 years, and recently, within the last few years, got a civil divorce. He has now been remarried civilly. Um, wouldn't, we talked to him before. We explained that he, you know, was outside the church. My father talked to him. We he would not look at an annulment. He was steadfast that he was going to do the civil marriage. So he lives in Texas, I'm in Arizona, we don't see each other, but he just texted and wanted to come and bring his new wife to Thanksgiving to be with our family. I have a problem with it, Um, I look at it as he's essentially bringing someone that he's having an affair with to Thanksgiving dinner with my children who obviously understand that this is not the woman that he married, um, their Aunt Cindy. So I... My, I have other people in the family, though, that are telling me that I'm not being merciful, that I'm being judgmental. So we're just trying to get some clarification.
1: You know, um, there are different definitions of mercy. Um, mercy uh, does not accompany someone in sin. Um, uh, you know, by God's mercy... Uh, it's not necessarily what he gives us, but it's also what he withholds from us, which is what we deserve, which is hell. By his mercy, he withholds what we have earned, which is hell. Um, does your brother consider himself Catholic still?:
4: Yes, and he goes to church and to mass and receives communion sacrilegiously.
1: Uh-huh, and the wife, the woman he married, uh, she consider herself Catholic?
4: I do not believe she is. No.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, does he deny the church's teaching, or did he just simply say, I, "I understand it, but I don't want to do it"? Does he deny the teaching of the church?
4: He understands. He was. I mean, he was catechized well, so he does understand it. But he has heard certain dissident priests that are starting to say that there is a possibility that Mary, you know, divorce People could receive communion, so he has listened to some of the more liberal voices. That Dissident, are
1: is the from the Dissident is the word. Dissident is the word. Right, um, Tracy, you're right. Um, it, your brother still goes to the Catholic Church. He's committing mortal sin on mortal sin. He needs to know that every communion he receives is a sacrilege, and that he's living in mortal sin, and that his communion is adding mortal sin. If he dies in his sleep, he will be in hell for all eternity. You need to speak to him clearly. Mercy does not support someone on their road to hell. Um, We we can't judge someone's heart and motives, but we must judge their actions. We must do that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We must correct one another if we care for them at all. So Tracy, you're 100% right. Speak the truth in love. Don't speak in anger um, or any arrogance in your tone or voice or anything like that. Just say, I love you, I ache for you, and if I invited you for Thanksgiving, um, uh, I would be supporting your living in adultery and bringing the woman you're living with outside of marriage into my home with my children uh, I, I can't possibly do that. Speak to him kindly, but absolutely the truth. And if your Thank family doesn't understand that, they say you're judgmental and you're, you're um, uh, without mercy, uh, I would say in mercy God sent his son to die for us. That's pretty serious. That's how our sins affected God. And we cannot keep spitting in his face and call ourselves Catholic or Christian.
4: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, I feel so much better. Thank you. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely. All right. And be careful how you speak to your children. Um, they must grow up knowing that faith is a gift. We don't judge others whether they have faith, because that's a gift. But we must judge how they live their lives by the faith they, the faith they prof- profess. And I we love. can't be party Thank you. to sin
4: exactly thank you so much mother
1: You're, you're welcome dear one god bless you um let me see here now um we have an email from jenny jenny writes dearest mother miriam thank you for reading this email i'm inspired by your recent move to tyler texas me too it's wonderful here and i'm actively planning my family's escape from california i'm a mother of two young children four and six years old currently my husband and i are sending our children to christian school Even though we are practicing traditional Latin mass Catholics, we are sending them to Christian school because we are not in a position to homeschool. Well, I'd love to talk to you personally and know why, uh, that you're not in a position to homeschool and she says public school is not an option that's good and we are disappointed that the catholic schools in our area refuse to fight against the draconian vaccination laws slash mask mandates anti-parent uh anti-parent legislation that my state is trying to pass thus we're planning on moving okay this is good i wish i knew why you cannot homeschool um Fortunately, she says, our church in California is an FSSP, the Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter Parish, that refused to close down. Good. I'm worried that if we move to another state that has Latin Mass, they will fall into line during the next pandemic or shutdown and or fall into line with traditionis Custodis and no longer offer Latin Mass. Question, should we relocate based on where... Latin Mass is, or should we stay put in a borderline communist state, knowing our current church will never close down? God bless you, Mother Miriam, and thank you very much. All the best, Jenny. Jenny, it's not an easy question. I don't know how you know that your church will never close down simply because it's FSSP. uh, the Holy Father has given them reprieve for a time, but he's shutting down the Latin Mass left and right, Latin Mass religious communities, priests, uh, left and right. Um, I don't know how you could be so confident that the mass, your Mass in California, your FSSP parish, will never, she writes in capital letters, close down. I don't know how you can uh, be so confident with that. Um, You're in a semi-communist state, but the entire country under our current president is becoming communist. And so uh, what federal law is going to be soon putting on us, including um, uh, climate lockdowns, it's insane. Uh, If you want to know about that, just go to LifeSite News uh, last week and look at the John Henry Weston show about climate lockdowns. It is not what's going to happen It's planned and already happening. So we're living in awful, awful times. Um, If you move, um, there still might be room in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas with Bishop Strickland. Um, It seems like the whole world is coming here. Um, If you have a good, solid bishop who will be a bishop and not shrink from his ordination as, as Bishop Strickland is a good solid, uh, heroic, truly Catholic man of God, uh, then that's good, but even he could be moved, even the best bishop could be moved by the Pope. So um, I can't tell you whether to move or not. If you have a good parish and you can and a good parish community, um, and it's a Latin it's not just the Latin mass, but you have a Latin parish, I wouldn't so easily move from that. I would, I would wait until maybe you need to. Um, it depends upon the situation, but Jenny, I think what's more important is that you get your children out of that Christian school. They're young, and you're making them Protestant. They're going to absorb everything, and it's not just doctrinal. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of seeing God and before I, I think it's more important to get your children out of that Christian school and raise them in fully in the Catholic faith than it is for you to leave that FSSP parish. I don't know why you cannot homeschool, but I would check with your parish, maybe there's homeschooling parents that could take your children in and homeschool your children along with their own. I would do everything I can to see if something like that were possible. Uh, Julie from Tennessee. Hi, Julie. Hi, Mother Miriam, How are Hi, you? Hi, sweetie. I'm okay. How are you?
5: I'm very well, thank you. Um, I have something that's been on my mind for a little bit, and it's, um, I guess, the use of alcohol in you know in a devout Catholic home. And I would say my you know I, I enjoy drinking wine. My husband enjoys drinking beer, especially as a way to um, socialize with, um, with you know, other people that come to our home. We entertain a lot, and um, it's just been on my mind in terms of what is acceptable in terms of alcohol use in a devout Catholic home.
1: I don't see, personally, as an evangelical, I would have had a different uh, opinion on this, but I see no problem whatsoever. Um, we are to be stewards of all that we have. We are not to be drunk. We are not to drink to the point that we are, that our senses are dulled. That we're not sure of what we say, or that our mind is not clear. But if you can have a glass of wine or your husband beer, and it's not, it doesn't affect you physically, so you're not, um, so you're in control of your faculties and all that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, if you drink in excess, then. Uh, you're against uh, what God has said. I think it's Ephesians. Um, I want to say chapter five. I'd have to look it up. Um, not to drink, to, uh, not to drink in, to dissipation, not to drink in excess, but to drink um, in a devout Catholic home. To have wine, to have beer, um, even other alcoholic beverages is not a problem. Just everything in moderation so that you control it and it doesn't control you, and that includes the the guests that you serve.
5: Okay, very helpful. Thank you you very much, Mother.
1: All right, and if you have guests that are drinking too much um, and they say, you know, I'm going to take another beer, you're going to say, no, excuse me, you've had enough, and they'll say, no, you can't direct me, and yes, I can. If you want to remain in our home tonight and remain at this function, you may not have another drink. And if they insist, you just put them out.
5: Okay, very well. Thank you very much. That's very helpful.
1: Good. All right. God bless you, dear um Marie writes, Hi, Mother, I love hearing you and always learn something new when you speak. Thank you. I wanted to ask you if cremation is a sin. No, cremation is not a sin. Uh, in the early church, it was thought to be a sin because the pagans uh, burnt up their bodies and they didn't believe in the resurrection and so. Christians were, would be acting like pagans and, and denying the resurrection. But um, I'm looking here at an article on catholic.com. The prohibition um, uh, of the church's forbidding crema- cremation was lifted in 1963. The church still recommends that the faithful be buried, that the body be kept intact. But Catholics may be cremated so long as cremation does not demonstrate a denial of belief in the resurrection of the body. And I will add to that, that you cannot keep the ashes from cremation on your bedroom dresser. You cannot split them up among the family. Um, You must uh, bury them. You must give that cremated body, put it in an urn and in a little coffin, and bury that body in the ground, just as you were with that person not cremated okay uh, let me see now up um, oh, there's the music for our last break dear ones so uh, we'll come back we'll have a uh, 10 minutes or so after the break um, uh, for our last segment and uh, the lines are wide open and you're welcome to use them call in with anything at all on your heart toll-free one 18775115483 Part of our continuing effort
5: to teach the sometimes lost beauty of our faith, we are broadcasting a special educational lesson every Wednesday called Lessons in Latin. These many teachings from the Institute of Christ the King break down the history of the various parts of our Holy Mass. You can hear Lessons in Latin Wednesdays at approximately 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m.
2: Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross will keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We look forward to joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Praise be to Jesus. May God love you. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's the Station of or 1 866 628 2277.
1: Uh, we are here, and we are live, and this is our last segment, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll-free, 511 5483 or email at mother at um, We have an email from Terry, who writes, Hello, Mother Miriam, I pray the rosary daily of Our Lady of Fatima, to our lady of fatima but also make devotion with our mother of sorrows chaplet on saturdays in lieu of the saturday rosary i pray the chaplet to saint michael the archangel on saturday as well along with my daily chaplet of divine mercy and morning and evening prayers my time is very constrained and it's quite difficult to juggle spiritual and temporal life. Sounds like you're doing a good job of it to me. Um, my question, am I not honoring Our Lady's qu- request for daily rosary by substituting the chapel, a chaplet of the seven sorrows? I sincerely hope not. I want to honor her and pray for the conversion of sinners, but I would also like to enjoy the indulgences that come from the daily rosary I pray the seven sorrows on Saturday rather than Friday to honor her on her day Saturday. Thank you in advance for your counsel and wisdom. God bless you, Terry. Terry, I cannot give you a canonical official answer. Um, I don't think there is one. I think that you're doing just fine. Um, I don't think it's it's an issue at all that Our Lady is going to... Uh, think you're at fault for not praying the rosary on Saturday when you're in fact praying her chaplet of the seven sorrows. You're accompanying her more in that chapel than you would actually praying the rosary. So no, no, no. I think you're doing... You know, it's interesting because you pray the chaplet on Saturday, and Saturday's rosary would be the joyful mysteries. So the fact that you're praying her sorrowful mysteries on Saturday, I think would please her very much, Terry. I personally don't think you have anything to be concerned about. Okay. Um, let's see now. Um We have an email from Yvonne, who says, Hello, Mother. I was wondering if you could help me with a problem I'm having with St. Faustina's diary. I don't know if you follow the Divine Mercy devotion. I do. But in the diary, it is reported that Jesus said he cannot love a soul stained with sin. I don't understand that, since he died for us when we were all sinners, indeed. And he demonstrated, you're right, Romans 5.8, he demonstrated his love for us in that he, while we were yet in our sin, he died for us. That's right. Um, it also says in many other places in the diary that he loves sinners. He absolutely does. Hates the sin, but loves the sinner. I have contacted... Um, Iman says three priests about this, and no one has an answer, including the priest responsible for publishing the diary. Actually, they ignored my request. What do you think about this? Thanks. Um, you know, I have read the diary, but it's been some time, and I don't uh, recall the the, um, um, uh, the the moment or the, the very sentence that he um, Uh, what did you say here? Excuse me. Um, Jesus said he could not love a soul stayed in sin. You're very right, Yvonne. He died for us while we were yet in sin. He died for us before we were even born. Uh, He knew every sin that we would already commit, and he died before out of love for us. But I think the idea is here that He cannot live in a soul. He cannot unite with a soul. He cannot stay in the presence of a soul that is stained with sin. He loved us. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He loves sinners. But um, he cannot, uh, if if it's rather love a soul that is stained with sin versus live in a soul, um, uh, it's still the idea. Love is active. And um, if a soul refuses uh, confession refuses repentance and it lives in sin. It's stained with sin and is not removed through the grace of God in confession. Jesus can't dwell with that person. Just as if we commit mortal sin, um, uh, we have separated ourselves from God and God cannot live within us. But the minute we are um, uh, forgiven, Uh, our sins are absolved, we're stored in a state of grace, God can live in a soul like that. And so I think that is the idea. I think that is the idea. Let me just see. There's an article here that I'm trying to, um, um, hold on. I'm trying to, it's too long for me to read it now, but, um, uh, let me just give it a start. Let me give it a start. Um, there's one virtue without which all others are as nothing, and that's the virtue of habitual charity, the habit of the state of grace. This virtue we absolutely must have if we are to please God and live in him. The state of grace is necessary, that we may have the power of the apostolic as well as of the contemplative life. Without it, all graces are like diamonds lost in the mind, nourishment taken into a sick stomach stifles instead of sustaining life and do we think we are offering to god a sacrifice of pleasing odor when we proffer him a noisome corpse yet what else are we if we are not in the state of grace the state of grace is necessary in order that god may love us and grant us his grace you see um like those who appeared to Jesus in um, the 7th chapter of Matthew lord let us in and he looks at them and he says depart from me i never knew you to know you is to know you intimately is to love you is to be with you and but we did this and we did that we went to church every sunday and we did depart from me i never knew you because they were living in sin god does not love us because of any merit on our part and he has no reason to love our works insofar as they have their source in us. What are we in his sight? And what good can come from a body and soul stained with sin? A little natural good at the most, but nothing supernatural. What God loves in us is his grace, the reflection of his sanctity in hearts that are pure. That is enough to satisfy his gaze. Does not God love a child after its baptism? Yet it has not acquired, has no acquired virtues. It is pure, however, and in the state of grace, God sees himself reflected in the grace which adorns its heart and takes pleasure in the perfume of the fragile flower while he awaits its fruits. So in ourselves too, God loves above all the state of grace. The state of purity we acquire by being washed in the blood of Jesus. The state of grace is our beauty. It is the reflection of Jesus Christ in his saints. As the Father sees himself in his word, so Jesus sees himself in their souls. But if the soul is stained with sin, it is impossible for God to be reflected therein. Do you expect him to be well pleased, to look at his divine sons executioner evil is never lovable and when we are guilty of sin god cannot love our state in his goodness and mercy he first purifies us and not till then does he show his love for us not till then can we bear his gaze our first motive therefore for guarding the state of grace is that it makes us loved by god and renders us pleasing in his sight. Yvonne, I hope that helped you. Um, if our soul is stained with sin, we have rejected God's grace, rejected confession and forgiveness, regret, re- rejected his cleansing grace and means. That's the idea then. that, okay. Um, Um, I see we have Ed on the line. My dear friend from Massachusetts, um, it's the end of our program. My dear Ed, could you call in again tomorrow? We'll take your call first. God bless all of you, and God willing, we'll speak with you tomorrow.